Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 12.33 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott with you on Oilers Now. Some guests of the show do receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta Zone, Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie, Brendan, and the staff that Oilers Now sent you. Pleased to be joined here in the 6.30 Chad Studios by Sportsnet Spec. Mark Spector, he's brought to you every Tuesday by the horses, Horse Racing Alberta, and the 7,000 men and women that work in Alberta's horse racing industry. All right, Spec, well, I, again, I call it the worst-kept secret, at least in Edmonton's hockey circle. Yes, Apuljarvi officially signs a one-year contract over in Finland. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, it happened last night overnight, right? Woke up this morning to read the news. Um, again, you make the point. I think we all saw this coming. Mm-hmm. The agent and the player said they were doing it, and uh, they have not backed off. So, you know, the only sort of, the the one kind of, I'm not going to say misleading, but the, the people talk about the December 1st out clause. Really, no NHL player signs a contract over there without being able to get out. Like, if he gets mm-hmm. the NHL deal that he's looking for, right? That's just standard, you know, player contract when you're going over there. And, of course, the December 1 date... You know, you'll think back to William Nylander last year, of course, dictates is dictated by the CBA. Any player who does not sign by 5 p.m. Eastern on December 1st cannot play this season in the National Hockey League. Remember, Nylander went to like 3 in the afternoon Eastern. Uh, so, yeah, he's got till December to, you know, prove his, his value so that Ken Holland can be satisfied for the trade that he would make. It would be my opinion. I would... I would wager that Paul Yarvey's played his last game in an Oilers uniform. I would think so, too. Uh, I was reading some stuff. I was, you know, watching some interviews. That's not necessarily popular opinion across the country, but I think those closest to the situation certainly believe that. Um, you actually got to talk to Ken Holland this morning about this situation. Mm-hmm. Is that true? And you, you tweeted out a couple of quotes, but just walk me through that. Yeah, he's, um, you know, he said he's not sure how it changes the situation, really. He's still looking, willing to trade the player and just looking for value. Uh, it's, you know, the good news is if the player, if, if Pugliarvi, you know, he should light it up over there. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be one of the very upper echelon players in that league. Uh, if he does so, and maybe there's a team over here that gets an injury on right wing or something, the trade should be able to happen. Uh, if he gets hurt, then nothing happens. Uh, but I think all parties are, are better served, Brendan, that he is playing. He's not sitting out, holding out, not playing somewhere. Every guy that holds out has a terrible season. So he's over there playing. Uh, if he plays well, again, I suspect that that by mid-November, Holland will find a deal for him. And 
it's tough to predict what that would even look like because we don't know how much value he might regain based on his performance overseas, right? Yeah, I mean his stock is fairly low, that's for sure. You know, he's not and in, in, in Holland is. You know, this is a player who's 21 and, and just a couple of years ago was one of the top prospects in the world of hockey. So you don't get him for a third round pick. And in fact, you don't just get him for a second round pick at this point. Uh, that doesn't make any sense for Holland. You might as well just keep the player and hope he turns out, right? What's your odds? I mean, someone's done those studies, the odds of this third round pick helping your team. So... I suspect it will take a second-round pick and uh, and uh, some level of a prospect to equal what Holland sees in a young, twenty-one-year-old, six-foot-four, right-handed shooting guy that you, at some point has scored a lot of goals. There's value in that player, and uh, Holland in- intends to get some version of equal value for the. Uh, property. Mm, and he's certainly no stranger to making sure that European prospects, no matter how highly touted, end up panning out just based on his track record there in Detroit. So uh, yeah. I think he's really earned a lot of respect just based on what I see on the text line and on Oilers Twitter, which can sometimes be an overly negative place. But I, I get the sense that overwhelmingly people are pretty satisfied with the job that he's done in handling this situation and not backing down. No, that's fair. And, you know, he walked into this thing, right? What was he hired, like May 6th or something? Uh, and f- the first conversation he had with Marcus Leto, Pogliar's agent, Leto said, look, my guy wants out. So, you know, Holland didn't draft the player, although he said to me today, there's not a GM in the league that wouldn't have picked him top five mm-hmm. in 2016. That's just a, you know, in Holland's mind, that's a fact, and I would concur. Um, but this isn't a situation of his making. In terms of how Oilers fans are looking at Ken Holland, he's not the guy that mishandled uh, Paul Yarvey developmentally, right. right? He's not the one that didn't give him enough time in the AHL, uh, that didn't, you know, that presided over a developmental system that has, frankly, not found a player in Jesse Paul Yarvey. You know, that would be the former regime that takes that blame. So. Holland's just trying to, you know, get out of this thing without anybody being able to say that he gave away the asset. And when you're trading Jesse Pugliarvi at age 21, you're always afraid that he will figure it out somewhere else. And there will be a 35-goal scorer there, and you ended up with a second-round pick. You don't want that in your resume, right? No, and that's fair to say, but there's also a really good chance he's not going to develop in that player here based on the mindset that he's demonstrated. So it's an interesting battle. It's a chicken-and-egg thing. Some guys do, you know, in moving on to the next organization, what happens is we've, you know, the the next coach says a lot of the things that the last coach said, but having heard it from a second coach and a second general manager, often the player says, you know what? I guess all my friends and family and agent and stuff, they're wrong. And these hockey guys in the next organization that are telling me exactly what Todd McCullen told me and probably what Pete Chiarelli told me and, you know, whoever was, you know, uh, uh, Woodcroft in uh, Bakersfield told me, I mean, when they hear it again from a new set of people, it often settles in and the player says, okay, I'm a little older, right? I'm a little more mature. I think that I should stop listening to all my friends and family and I should listen to these hockey people. And sometimes it just takes moving to the next organization for that process to happen. Chatting with Mark Spector from uh, Sportsnet, sportsnet sportsnet.ca. Dave Poulin from TSN was talking. That Connor... 
and Leon still need to be separated. And he actually went as far to say that Pugliarvi might still be talented enough to play with either one of those guys. And I just, I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, here's a hockey mind. He's somebody who played the game. I, I just, Smart guy. Yeah. Smart guy. And I, I just cannot believe, and to me that just highlights such a disconnect between what, what they think of the East Coast and then what we see in this market here. Kind of surprised the hell out of me, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it, it you know, I know Dave and, and he's a smart guy and he knows what he's talking about all with, you know, when it comes to hockey. So I don't, I don't uh, dismiss mm-hmm. his level of hockey knowledge. But I, th- I think it, it's, I would probably say that Dave may not have seen a lot of Pugliarvi as much as we have, for instance, out here. Um, you know, having watched Pugliarvi play here up close every shift, I think you have a little bit of a different uh, idea. I think we would all appreciate here that if Connor McDavid was asking to have Jesse Pogliarvi on his right side, he'd have been in his right side all mm-hmm. the time. And the fact that he was almost barely ever on Connor McDavid's right side would suggest to me that, and this isn't me saying McDavid doesn't like the kid or, or doesn't want him here. I'm not saying that. But I am saying your best player is a centerman who's dying for a right winger is not requesting that Jesse Pugliarvi be that right winger. I think that is a fair assessment. So Dave Poulin, you know, he's just, again, a smart guy, but I don't see any situation where you take a player that's that's playing at the level that Pugliarvi's playing and just gift him first-line right-wing status next to McDavid. Oh, that's I don't see how that works. No, I, I tend to agree with you there. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Connor McDavid finally speaking to the media, not participating in the usual uh, BioSteel camp that he would be uh, somewhat of a staple at over the last several years as he continues to recover from that knee injury suffered in the final game of the regular season. Uh, mom's typically the word in these situations, yep. particularly when you're talking about the best player in the world, your franchise player. Um, I'm not too worried about him missing any significant time. And in fact, it's encouraging to me that they're taking such a cautious route. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I think the, in the absence of true intelligence, like A, teams are really quiet about injuries, right? For sure. And B, it's summertime. So Connor's not even really, you know, technically part of the Oilers for the last three, four months. So that doubles up the silence. So I don't, you know, here's what I, as a journalist, Brandon, when teams don't give you any information and then blame you for getting and assessing it improperly, (laughs) I could solve that, right? Don't blame me or any other journalist Mm -hmm. for improperly guessing the state of Connor McDavid's health. Give us some facts and we'll be right every time. You know, we get paid, the fans out there listening to this show, they want to know what's going on with Conor McDavid. And we've all been sort of trying to find out and personally not getting a lot of satisfaction in terms of information. So, so you know, I'm, I don't have any opinions. I don't know if he'll play the first game. I've not heard, uh, you read a text from a guy that said they say he won't play opening night. I've not heard that. That doesn't, that's, no one has said that. I believe I did hear that they may be judicious with his time during camp because his rehab schedule is is uh, you know in in fact exactly that a schedule, and it will decide how often and how hard he goes. 
but I don't. No one said to us. They all said, "Hey, he's great. We expect him to be back." Well, that's mm-hmm. good. But that was mm-hmm. a long time ago, and I hope they're right. And I hope there has. I hope everything's good, and I hope he's there for game one. But I will not say I've been buried in an avalanche of information about Connor McDavid's knee status. Have you? No, uh, certainly not. And you <laughs> right back to when that initial press release came out, and you know, with all due respect yeah, to the Oilers really and the franchise, it, it was vague. It, it said nothing right yeah, from the get go. So yeah, I, I don't know what a team gains by by holding that kind of information to themselves. But uh, well, I, I, yeah, like that's the new culture of. You know, and, and what? It doesn't meet the criteria, Brendan, that people are going to target his knee if they know what's wrong with it. Everyone knows he had a knee injury. We all watched him get carried off the ice that night. So that doesn't wash, mm-hmm. right? He's the best player in the world at this point. He's certainly the franchise player here in Edmonton. Uh, you know, secrecy, not just by the Oilers, by his camp, by anyone. Secrecy in, in any situation tells us there's something to hide. And I hope there's nothing to hide. Because it won't be good news if they're hiding it, right? I want good news, and I want to hear a whole bunch of it when it comes to Connor McDavid. So let's hope that it is forthcoming quickly. Let's press pause on this right now. We'll come back and, and maybe uh, we'll revisit a couple of those comments. We've got a couple texts coming in uh, about this situation as well. Uh, Brendan Escott, Mark Spector with you here on Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.46 in Edmonton. It is uh, Brendan Escott joined by Mark Spector. For the horses, Horse Racing Alberta, who have live racing every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday at the new Century Mile Racetrack down in Nisku. So, Speckler, we'll just go through a couple of texts here. I mean, it's, sure. it's it's much ado about nothing, really, right now, because like you said, there's just nothing coming out of either camp. But uh, Texter in Bonneville says, can you agree that stoking fear about the future of McDavid's career is irresponsible? Yes, I, w- I would say that if that had been happening... So it it would a, be your response. I, I haven't seen that. Personally. Is this a reference to the Cahal Kelly piece in the Globe and Mail? Do you think yesterday? Oh, it certainly you think might it be if the texture in Bonneville had uh, read that. But I, I, I don't stoking fear. Define stoking fear exactly because not saying anything at all to me is not stoking fear. If you're worried about that, that's your own anxiety running away in your own imagination because they haven't said that his career is in danger. Nobody with any genuine clout on either the behalf of the organization no. or McDavid's camp has said anything like that. No, definitely not. And he is skating, you know, which tells me that that's part of a regular rehab process. Uh, personally, I, listen, we're, we're none of us are doctors, but we've all covered enough injuries to know th- what certain templates are, right? And if things were bad, he wouldn't have skated yet. I'm telling you that right now. Right. So he's out there skating, so that's good. He's on a, you know, they're being very careful with him because he's such an important guy. That's fine with me, man. Good for them. Uh, he's missing the BioSteel camp. I'm not worried about Connor McDavid's fitness, <laughs> right? Yeah. And worst case scenario, if it takes a little bit longer for him to skate full out and maybe he isn't as ready on October, what's the first day of the year? Third, Second, I believe. October yeah, 7. Uh, as he normally would be. Well, that would be a shame, but it's not... I do not see a scenario here where we're going to hear the worst news, which is, oh man, we got more surgery or this went south. Here's a guy working out hard at Gary Roberts's deal. He's skating hard when he does skate. So it's, 
be patient, folks, right? Just be patient. Uh, this might make a little more sense to both you and I. Two different textures saying that uh, Brian Hall might have mentioned something on a, a sportscast this morning that indicated that he's a lot further away than than I had been led to believe. Um, you mentioned it as well. So I, I think that this is a guy who doesn't necessarily need as much time to get up to speed as the next NHL player. We can probably all agree he's, he's pretty gifted in a lot of mm-hmm. regards. Um, so I'm not spectacularly worried about that, but just let's pose the scenario. Maybe his play dips out of the game. Maybe it takes him eight games, ten games to get up to speed. That might be a problem for the Oilers, who I think really would benefit from a hot no. start out of the gate here. You want him, your best player to be the best he can be. I, I'm. This is too short-term for me. I could, frankly, care less about the first ten games. If you tell me that Connor McDavid is going to completely and 100% recover and be the Connor McDavid that stepped on the ice that night in Calgary before he ran into that goalpost. I don't care when it happens, right? Happened in October 7th, happened November 1st, happened Jan 1. If that was a big injury and if it costs him a little bit of fitness or it costs him a, a you know, a quarter step or whatever one would be cost by that knee injury, I don't care that much as long as it all comes back in the end, right? What I don't want to hear is this injury has slowed a player down or this injury isn't going away. or And we haven't heard that. It's not what I'm saying. No one's heard that. Everyone's saying it's going to be great. But I think we all have to be patient with a timeline. Connor McDavid suffered a, a very serious knee injury, and, and let's hope it's ready for October 7. But if for some reason it's a little slow to get going, like chillax, you know, <laughs> just let, let it be. You can't, just because you like the guy and you bought his jersey, it doesn't make his knee repair faster than someone else's knee would repair. Yeah, exactly. And again, I say, I mean, all things considered, just be grateful this didn't happen on October 7th of last year or this year or whatever. And by let's make sure this is on the record. He's skating. He's working out hard. He's not walking around with a limp. By all accounts, he is fit, and he appears to be exactly on the schedule that was set out that will have him participating fully in camp and ready for the start of the season. There may be further news, but at this point, there is no reason to freak out here. For what I can see, this guy's ready to go. Somebody who might potentially join Connor McDavid... In an Oilers uniform, I saw this on Twitter earlier. It has been talked about a little bit this offseason. Is Riley Sheehan, mm-hmm. who would be uh, an interesting fit at third line center there, just 27 years old still. I think he'll turn 28 on September 23rd, let's say. So still a, a fairly young player. He's got three seasons under his belt of 10-plus goals. Down year in Florida last year, only got into 33 games, but uh, he's familiar with Ken Holland. So what do you think of the fit there? Well, it's a good question, and, and I always judge these things by... Um how active Ken Holland is at going after the player. You know, at this point, uh, it, it was my understanding that the Oilers did take, as, as first reported, I believe, by George Lerac, uh, a pretty good run at Derek Broussard. And there was, you know, some feeling they might get him. And it didn't work out. He chose the Islanders for, you know, whichever reasons he chose them for, that's fine. Um, I am not hearing anywhere that the Oilers are in hot pursuit of of uh, Riley Sheehan. It's the same with Patrick Marlowe, right? The only people talking about Patrick Marlowe coming to Edmonton are people on the internet who, who <laughs> aren't opinions that, you know, set a trend. They're just saying it. Yeah. I talked to some hockey people about that yesterday, and they said no chance that he's not coming to Edmonton, and the Edmonton Oilers are not 
fishing around for him, in my opinion. Well, and I'm on the record as saying that a player like Patrick Marlowe would be a great addition to that room, simply yeah. for the off-ice aspect of well, things. But and Patrick he can Marlowe play. has to want to play here. Yeah, he, he can still play some. Like Considering who the Oilers are looking at running out of third-line center, at this moment, Brendan, that whichever name you want to pick, he's not as good a player as Patrick Marlowe. So this isn't me saying he can't play. But I'm under the understanding that uh, he'll very likely end up back in San Jose or perhaps the LA Kings, but exactly. it won't be Edmonton. Somewhere on the West Coast, and that's uh, that's what I had been reading as well. Um, we'll wrap up Oilers talk here before we get to the top of the 1 o'clock hour. A um, couple texts, though, out of Grand Prairie here. How forgiving are the fans going to be if we lose 8 out of 10 games to start the year? Maybe grab Chris Kreider right now if possible. That's I don't think that's possible. Then Again, that's you, you look at things now. Now, and you and Bob talked about it last week. If these deals were going to get done, that would have happened a while ago. This is not a time that, statist- or historically, I should say, that th- those kinds of things happen. Generally speaking, right? The trading season has is, is pretty much over, frankly. I look around the league and look around the league in this time frame for the last 10 years. Not a lot of deals going on right now. The only thing that spurs them at this point can be injuries. Injuries that don't happen until camp starts, generally speaking. It's give or take an Andre Secra. Um, that will be what opens up the next trading window is someone's going to lose a player they need and they're going to look around and replace them. Do you think that that could also happen by virtue of some of these restricted free agents not returning to their teams to start the year? Well, no, because let's say you're the Calgary Flames and let's say Matt Kachuk doesn't sign by, you know, the start of camp. Um, you got to keep the cap space for him. You can't go out and acquire a $5 million guy, you know, give up a prospect and a first-round pick and bring in a, a guy that's going to be your second-line left winger. Let's say he makes 3 or $4 million. How are you going to sign Kachuk now? Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't think certainly the RFAs, um, I don't think that has any bearing. Let's talk for a couple of minutes here. Uh, Corey Pronman of The Athletic released his uh, prospect rankings in terms of just overall farm systems. The Oilers okay. checked in at number nine. And we will hear from Corey Pronman on tomorrow's edition of Oilers Now at 135. But, uh, he knows. He knows. Yeah. He spends a lot of time and a lot of junior and, you know, different amateur rinks. Uh, he's a he's a reporter that acts a lot like he's a scout, and he knows what he's talking about. Which is encouraging and should be encouraging for the Oilers fans. And I don't want to beat the dead horse too much because we talk a lot about it on this show, but the drafting over the last three seasons, I think, has really solidified this mm-hmm. this team as one of the deeper farm systems that they've had in a long time, if not ever. Yeah, and how do you win in the cap system? It's, every year we realize drafting and development is more and more and more important. If you don't have the young guys that don't make much money, every team that wins has those you know, guys on entry-level deals, right? And the minute all your best players start to become, um, you know, look at the Jets, right? When your good players start to become uh, into their second and third contracts, it gets harder and harder to win. The orders are sort of there. Toronto's sort of there. The Jets are there. So Mm -hmm. uh, drafting and development is massive and... It's nice to see an Oilers team judged to be in the top ten by a credible source. Absolutely, and and I mean we could go down the list of players which we've we've done a couple times before. Mm-hmm. Guys like Tyler Benson, and and I, I would call it a coming out party, but everybody knew exactly how talented he was going to be if he could ever get healthy. He finally yep. did that. Yeah, uh, he and was. The sky's still the limit. Like I still don't. I feel like even though Tyler Benson is what would he be twenty one now or turning twenty one mm-hmm. this year because he's had one full year in the A. Uh, I feel like developmentally he's about 18. 
you know, he, he's missed yeah. so much developmental mm-hmm. time being on the shelf that, sure, he's, he's been, a, you know, he's done a whole junior career and he's played one year in the A, but I think that there's tons of improvement for a Tyler Benson that another 21-year-old I wouldn't say that about. It's weird to think that he's older than Pugliarvi, and just you know, that's something that's been totally lost in, in all of this. You don't realize how young Pugliarvi really is. Uh, Kyle Yamamoto, another catalyst in terms of that high-ranking number nine for the Oilers' farm system. Someone texting in right now at a Red Deer asking if he'll make the team. I would consider Speck last year completely lost for Yamamoto, yep. so then Injuries. you put him another year behind. I think he'll be in the AHL for all of next year, personally, and should be. Well, I would hope, I would think the exact same thing, right? Uh, there's, he needs a full season in the A. And, and here's what I, you know, Kyler Yamamoto, uh, did he just have a bad luck season and he got hurt a whole bunch and, and he needs a fresh start and a fresh season and better luck? Or is this a player who, at his size, when playing among men in the AHL, is always going to get hurt? And does he need to learn how to play at that level? And figure out a way to stay healthy. I, I often go back to Taylor Hall, who spent the first couple of years of his career getting absolutely creamed mm-hmm. because of the way he played, the kamikaze style. Yeah. And at one point, or Connor McDavid early on, right, when he broke his collarbone and he crashed the net a lot the way he did when he got injured again. But uh, I think we saw a change in the game of both players who who became pros and said, look, i got to survive 82 games. Every rush can't be a kamikaze, crazy rush to the net. Mm-hmm. So does Kyler Yamamoto have to figure out how to survive an AHL season? Because if he can't survive down there, forget surviving up here. More coming up with Sportsnet's Mark Spector after we take a timeout for a global news weather traffic update with Cassandra Jodwin. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. 105 in Edmonton, second hour of Oilers Now is brought to you by Digitex. Don't spend your valuable time meeting with door-to-door sales reps. Your all-in-one convenient location is digitex.ca, Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. Joined in studio right now by Mark Spector. He's brought to you every Tuesday by the horses, Horse Racing Alberta, and the 7,000 men and women that work in Alberta's horse racing industry. We're going to go to some news and notes around the league, so if there's anything uh, you got on your mind you want answered uh, texted in 630-630 that's the Heartland Ford text line with over 10 million dollars in new and pre-owned inventory they are one of the largest volume Ford dealers in Alberta experience the difference of Heartland Ford River Creek Resort Casino hotline is 780-496-0063 so spec um, really the I think the main headline of this offseason has been the amount of restricted free agents in the NHL holding out we've got another one that has started skating overseas Miko Rantanen has uh, joined a Norwegian club. I'm not sure which one, but he is uh, joining Mitch Marner, I suppose, in the European circuit. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know where we go from here, but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Like, What does this do in terms of the, the, how do they solve this problem? This can't keep happening every single season. Well, it's a good question, and, and I think hockey fans have to get used to, you know, we were always used to UFAs getting the big deals on July 1st, right? We were used to the older, unrestricted guy picking and choosing and hanging around sometimes, and now it's it's different now. It's, it's 
you know, teams are signing their young players. It's the second contract guys that are getting a lot of the money. And in fact, some of these older UFAs are coming in PTOs now. So it's just, I think it's different than what we're used to. And the different dynamic is the player like Rantanen or Marner or Kachuk or Besser, they're not free to shop all around the league. They're, in fact, beholden to sign with only one team. So that gives leverage to the club, which lengthens the process, I think. You know, remember when you, there was a hot UFA out there, you know, you did your talking and your dealing and you signed them as fast on July 1st as you could. Like, mm-hmm. that, the best UFAs never had any holdout situation. They were signed by noon on July 1. But as we see... You know, without the option of going elsewhere, uh, the team has a little bit more leverage, and uh, we, you're right. It's becoming a bit of an issue in the NHL. Why does the league not seem, publicly anyway, too worried about this situation? We might go into a, a season here, spec with like several, like almost 10 of these. These aren't, you know, poor talents. We're talking about some of the best players in the league yeah, right important now. Important players. Yeah, that aren't going to be playing. Is this not a problem? Well, we've never gone into a season with that many guys, right? I mean, last year there was basically one guy, William Nylander. So let's wait and see. You know, we're not, we can't react to something until it actually happens. Let's see how many guys aren't signed for camp, how many guys aren't signed for the season. Yes, if there was a. You know, if there was 10 guys who weren't playing on October 7th, oh boy, the league would be concerned about that. But we're not there yet. So the collective bargaining agreement, it, it expires in 2022, is yeah, that correct? It can, it can, yes. Uh, both the Players Association and the league have a, a deadline upcoming to reopen it, to set a date for reopening. If they don't choose it, I believe it then closes, uh, it makes it till 2022. Okay. Something so like that. It's, with, it's complicated, but right. uh, I believe it's coming up soon in the next couple seasons, no matter how, which way it shakes down. So with, with that in mind, um, again, you can't react to something right now that hasn't happened yet. So it's tough to say, like, well, what does this mean going forward? But uh, it's just interesting to see how this is going to change. And this, you know, you might be headed towards a work stoppage here. Last time around, or I guess two times ago, you talk about the big one in 05, um, or yeah, 05. It was the rule changes and that sort of thing. And the whole way that the game was played, that was... Yeah, that ended up being modified. Now we're going to see contracts structured differently, or, or negotiation terms. I don't know. I just Perhaps. I look at this situation without a ton of insight into it and think that on a very simple level, again, you can't continually go year after year after year of doing this. And well, yeah, I think there's there's two things here, though, Brandon. First of all, this is a PA issue, right? This is, you know, in your typical union, and it always worked this way in the Players Association, the older player made all the money, and the young guy paid his dues till he got the unrestricted free agency at age 27, then he was, he too was eligible to break the bank. Well, now it's not that way anymore. The younger guy is making a lot of the money, you know, and the older veteran who's paid his dues has to wait till Matt Kachuk signs to see what's left for him. So... And on the other side, listen, the league's just talking about how what percentage of hockey-related revenue goes to the players. I don't think the league cares that much what players it goes to, right? The league doesn't care if the veteran guy's getting the piece of the pie or the kid's getting the piece of the pie. They just care how big the pie is. So I don't think the league has a ton of problem with this process, and it may be inside the offices of the NHLPA, 
where the older players are saying, wait a second, man, I, I grew up in a system where you didn't get paid when you were 23, mm-hmm. and now everyone's getting paid when they're 23. So is that a problem for the PA? They haven't said so yet, but I suspect those conversations are happening. Oh, that's interesting because then you're trying to represent two sides of the same coin, essentially, and you're trying to advocate for your veterans who are now seemingly getting a smaller percentage of yes. that pie, but you're also there trying to advocate for these young guys who are, frankly, now the cream of the crop of this game. Well, the best player in the league used to only be, unless it was a freak player like Sid Crosby or Wayne Gretzky, but the best players were always 25, 6 plus. Mm -hmm. It took that long to become a best player in the NHL. You know, look at the old Canada Cup teams or World Cup teams or Olympic teams. They were all, almost all veteran guys. Now, you know, make an Olympic team for the upcoming Winter Olympics. There's going to be some guys in there, maybe a couple guys on entry-level contracts, and certainly a bunch of sub-25-year-olds, right? So it's a different time. Hockey is, the NHL has become a game where the best players are now between 21 and 26, not necessarily. I'm not, there's some, you know, you can't throw a blanket over all, but it used to be between 26 and 32, the best players were in that bubble. Oh, boy, not anymore. Well, and that's not even exclusive to the NHL. You look right. at baseball, and right. I want to say about five or six years ago, you started to see it trend in the same direction. Sure. All of a sudden, you know, the advancements in technology, the advancements in training, the the different kind of focus of these athletes yeah. right through. And, and the NFL right now is the only other thing that I think is really mirroring what's happening with the restricted free agent situation. You look at uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and they're running back Ezekiel Elliott holding out right now. Um, yeah. he, he's still got one year left on his contract but he's saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm worth more than this at this point. A couple of guys are doing that. And don't forget, Zeke's only, what, 24 years old as well. So well, this isn't so much a hockey problem as it is just it's across the board. Well, that's fair. And uh, as a running back in the National Football League, is there a more endangered species in the world of sports than that guy? Like, don't tell me I'm a running back in the NFL and I got to carry the rock till I'm 28 to finally get paid. The chances of me making it to 28 aren't good. Right. Right. Zeke Elliott, he's the best, as good as there is, really. And he needs to make his money now because those guys are. You know, they're two tackles away from being done in that league. It's it's a little different than hockey. I think a guy like Drysaddle and McDavid, Knockwood, can count on having fairly lengthy careers. Uh, NFL running back, man, who knows how long you get to play. Oh, yeah. I think it's like two, two and a half seasons is the average length of any right. NFL player, right? So it's maybe apples and oranges here, but it's just interesting to see uh, holdouts there as well and, and the negotiations. So maybe let's, let's take it here as we're joined by uh, Sportsnet's Mark Spector here in studio what is this doing to relationships between players and teams i look at the comments that patrick lion made or even again ezekiel elliott for that matter and they're saying yeah i'll play again somewhere right uh i want to say this i think we've watched teams take all kinds of players in who have done all kinds of terrible things out there because they're good players so I think the minute the the contract is signed and the teams and the player gets together, I don't think there's any. It's all business. I think we're fine there. It's fan bases. I think that become, you know, every one of these negotiations right drives a little. The wedge gets driven a little further in. You know, like Patrick Line is going to go back to Winnipeg, and they're looking at him. They love their guy. They love 29. They love anyone wearing that Jets jersey, but he better play well because there are seeds of. You know, he kind of doesn't appear to value the Winnipeg experience perhaps as much as Jets fan <laughs> values having Liney on his team. And, you know, I, I want to say that, that 
there's no loyalty left in sport, let's face it, right? Guys go to whatever mm-hmm. team pays them. And I think fans are, are probably looking at this thing and saying, hmm, geez, I love that player, but it doesn't seem that so much like he loves me back. <laughs> is that fair? That is absolutely <laughs> fair to say. And it's interesting that you raised that point. My roommate, in fact, is a big Winnipeg Jets fan. And I asked him, like, what, what are your thoughts on Patrick Lyon? He said, trade him. I'm done. Trade him. Yeah. Well, I think we see, we've certainly seen, you know, Oilers fans love slash love Jesse Pugliarvi. And we did see it flip, you know, on a dime when the agent came out and said, nah, he doesn't want to play here anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw a huge turning of the tide of sentiment. All of a sudden, half of the fan base is going, ah, let him freeze in Finland. And, you know, listen, how many fans out there bought that jersey and had the player leave as a free agent or get traded and they're stuck with the jersey of a guy that doesn't play for their team anymore? It's sad and it's a reality. And it's you pay your money, you get your right to say whatever you want, boo, cheer, it's up to you, right? Mm-hmm. Fair to say. Uh, what's interesting to me now is the report out of Ottawa today, Spec, mm. that they're trying to maybe get ahead of this curve, maybe nip this problem in the bud. They're already trying to negotiate with upcoming restrictions Restricted free agent defenseman Thomas Shabbat. He had, uh, I think, 55 points in 70 games last year. So I don't mind that move by them and saying, I don't want to deal with this next summer. So let's see if we can figure it out now. Let's get an early start. I, I applaud the team. We clearly, we, you know, Ottawa clearly wants Shabbat. He's of course. excellent defenseman. Should be the next captain of that team, in could my be, humble opinion. Could be. But it, has, it's, it takes both sides to make this happen. Is the player willing to sign a deal now, an eight-year deal with one year left in his entry level? If he is, then we're all happily married forever after. Uh, but it takes both sides to make that deal happen. Yeah, simply put. And so do you value yourself as a guy who's, if they come at you and say, we'll pay you $7 million a year based on the production that you had last year, I guess it's up to Shabbat whether he thinks there's another level he can get to and therefore a bigger payday, right? Well, if you were, you know, I'll tell you right now, if you're Mark Shifley, you wished you wouldn't have signed the long-term deal when you did. Mm-hmm. You wished you would have signed a three-year deal. Uh, I'd go as far as to say that, you know, I'm not, painting Leon Dreisaitl as a, a, a malcontent and he's clearly, you know, the only 50 goal 100 point man of the year of the NHL last year. But, you know, looking back at his deal financially, would he have been wise to have signed a shorter than 8 year deal? You know, I'll bet you he would have been. I mean, there's all kinds of guys who sign those deals who are overpaid and they benefit. The odd guy signs that long-term deal, Brendan, and he turns out that the with the market and the way he plays and the way he grows and matures, he goes, man, I'm underpaid here, and that's business. It sure is. And what's nice, though, about, and we talked off-air briefly about the fact that if, if there's you know one thing that we can really point to that Shirelli did right, it was locking up the core of this team yep. at the prices that he did as early as he did before this became an issue. You know, Taylor Hall only makes $6 million a year heading into next season. That's insane to me. Yeah. Now, Shirelli didn't sign Hall, though I believe that was a McTavish sign. You know what? That's that's fair to say. But Uh, nonetheless, the point is well taken. But I I often use those three signings as as an excellent example of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You had Hall, you had Ryan Nugent Hopkins, you had Jordan Eberle at $6 million. So today, Hall is underpaid. I would suggest that Nugent Hopkins is evenly paid at what he's worth and for a good chunk of the thing and I don't want to say bad things about Jordan Eberle because he's a good player and a long time 
Euler and all those things, but I would say there's been years when he's been overpaid. So it was a good example of betting on the future for three players, and I would say Craig McTavish probably ended up going about 50-50 on those guys, right? Yeah, absolutely fair to now, say. Now, today, Hall at $6 million is an absolute steal. No, that's, that's a head, just, head scratcher right now. Yeah, it's a hell of a deal. All right, let's uh, let's take another break here. We'll come back with more thoughts on uh, basically any of the news around the NHL. Talk about what this means for players who aren't necessarily the big money earners. When we come back, it's Brendan Escott, Mark Spector with you on Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chat. 120 in Edmonton and Oilers fans if you're looking for a great sports weekend trip you can join Oilers now in New Jersey and New York this October to see the Oilers play the Rangers and the Devils plus an opportunity to see the Dallas Cowboys play the New York Jets this New York package includes four nights at the Westin Hotel a welcome reception with the big man Bob Stoffer, plus parking at Value Park at the Edmonton International Airport for the Oilers now and NFL tour uh, call a uh, New West Travel at 780-432-7446 or you can go online at newwesttravel.com so uh, I, I don't really know what the ramifications for the rest of the league is but I look at a team and the two signings that we've had spec recently were Pat Maroon signing in Tampa Bay yeah, and, yeah. and a guy like Gabriel Bork signing in Winnipeg and they have to essentially the GMs on these teams have to shore up the rest of their roster with some of these journeymen very cheap league minimum type guys because there's such a high percentage of the cap being taken up by, say, two, three players per team. Yeah, how did Pat Maroon become that guy, right? Like, he was such a valuable player when he when the Oilers made their playoff run in 17. He didn't get the big contract he wanted after New Jersey. The one-year deal in St. Louis, he was a, such a solid citizen, the only St. Louis guy on a team. He was very good. He helped them win, right? He was a, he was a very good player in St. Louis, I thought at a fairly cheap price and here he is a UFA for a second time this summer and he signed a one-year deal for 900000 Like mm-hmm. We talk about the money going to these young guys and the older guys who have been slugging it out aren't getting it. Pat Maroon's face is on that picture. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it is certainly, in my opinion, a byproduct of, of these younger players and their, yeah. their holdouts and the way that they're starting to command more of their own. And Tampa saved money for Braden Point. Right? Yeah. You're not spending it on Pat Maroon. <laughs> exactly. So I guess it'd be interesting to pontificate as to where, where this goes from here. Do you start to see guys retiring a lot earlier because their roster spot is, is being filled by somebody who they'd rather see on an entry-level contract? Um, or, or do guys just start to accept that at 30 years old, you might only be worth less than a million dollars? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, let's let's put it into the reality that we all live in and all our listeners live in. Uh, if you told me that I had to take a job in Tampa and only make nine hundred thousand next year, I would be on a plane before I, you know, <laughs> it'd be a little puff of smoke, right? <laughs> Boom. Uh, so, sure, what a, the the crop of PTO players, players who come to camps without contracts gets richer and stronger every year. Mm -hmm. The group of guys now, 10, 15 years ago, they all were signed up in the summer. Now you get Alex Chason comes to camp in a PTO. like He's a nice player, can play for any team. Um, And you'll see more of those guys this year. So 
we're in a constantly changing climate with these players. And I'll tell you right now, Pat Maroon, if his choice is retirement or make 900000 what do you think he's going to do? He's going to go make 900000 and play and, and hope like heck he gets in a situation that really clicks and gets a three-year deal out of it next year. No, exactly. And it's, it's funny that we're talking about that being a small sum of money for a professional athlete. And obviously being in that role, it takes a toll on your body. You know, they are adequately, sure. um, I, it's easy for me to sit here and say that they're adequately paid for what they do. I don't necessarily know that. Pie. No one pays a hefty price for a ticket to watch some guy manage a team or coach a team. We go mm-hmm. to watch the players play. They get their share. I don't, you know, don't ever say they don't earn. They get what they negotiated. They're the ones we want to watch. They're not overpaid. The business is bringing in that much money. Mm-hmm. Simply put, uh, we I want to think that if Chad brought in as much money as the National Hockey League did, that we'd all make a lot more money. <laughs> you know, it's a absolutely, bil- it's a billion dollar, multi billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. The players should get their share. And like we talked about before, now that the, the younger players are are drawing more eyes to that game, that's yeah. you know, you see them getting the bigger slice of the pie, as you mentioned. You watch the Flames, you want to watch Kachuk. You know, that I mean, I want to watch Giordano too, and it seems crazy to me that Kachuk's going to make more money than he is, but he is, and that's just the way we're going. On that topic, we've got a, a Howie has requested that we discuss the trip that resulted in, in McDavid's injury. I, I don't really think there's much to that. There was no malice, in my it's opinion. Just, it's That's playing defense as a guy's driving to the net. To me, when you're Connor McDavid, you put more guys than anyone else in the league in a position that you've beaten them and they're desperate, mm-hmm. right? He's always beaten guys wide. A lot of slower players don't have this problem. McDavid has this problem. He beats guys, and they're like, oh, my goodness, he's going to the net. It's a split-second decision. I got to do something, right? I yeah. got to get something in the way. I have to you – know, Giordano didn't intend to trip and hurt him, but he beat Giordano like a rented mule, and Giordano said, oh, my goodness, i got to get something in the way. And it went sour. That's all it was. There's not a guy in the league, in my opinion, that would want to take out somebody like Connor McDavid. He's not that type of person. And, you know, forgive me for saying this, but maybe Brad Marchand would be somebody that you, you, you'd give a shot to. I don't think Connor McDavid is the type of guy you're intentionally trying to take off the ice. That's not good for you as a player if some one of the superstars or the faces of this game isn't playing, especially if you're the culprit. Right, and, and I think... You know, we reserve a special place for the guys who prove themselves to be what we used to call predators, right? You know, the Rafi Torreses of the world who who racked up six or seven notches on their belt of guys that they concussed mm-hmm. day after day, season after season, right? Those guys are different. You know, we judge them with a different eye. There's very few, if any, of those guys left in the game now, frankly. There's just not. And... Certainly, Mark Giordano is not one of those players. Uh, I, I do, just while we have a couple minutes to burn here. Um, the texter from the beginning of the show, I'm just ripping through here trying to find it, but there was somebody asking about uh, Burke's comments on Sportsnet saying mm-hmm. he believes that Austin Matthews will be gone after five years. Does that tie into sort of what we've been talking about here, or what's what's the deal? Well, it's Berkey's opinion. I, I don't, you know, it, he only signed a five-year deal. He has really strong roots in Arizona. You know, but now we, you know, and I'm not, this isn't me talking about Berkey, but we always laugh at the Toronto area fan or media who says, oh, McDavid wants to be a Leaf. And every player from Ontario, whoever wore a Leaf jammies in his life, <laughs> always wanted to go home. Well, after I could list about 15 guys that didn't go, John Tavares finally did. And everyone says, see, 
You know, they all want to go home. No, they yeah. don't. John Tavares went home, right? There's a 50. Steve Stamkos never went home. You know, and, and all the other guys that came up every year on July 1st that were supposed to want to go home, none of them ever go home. So uh, does that mean that Matthews wants to be in America, that he wants to be in Arizona? I can't. I'm not getting inside his head. But, you know, he did sign a five-year deal and not an eight-year deal, and that's going to leave the door open to that speculation. We're going to shift gears when we come back after a global news weather traffic update. Mark Spector, you've got a book coming out. I am happy to get your thoughts on what that looks like. And we're talking world juniors. And that's uh, basically every kid in a candy store. Uh, you act like a kid in a candy store when that comes around is what I'm trying to say. So we'll get to that after we hear from Cassandra Jodwin. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 134 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott with you today on Oilers Now. Joined in studio by Mark Spector. Brought to you by the Horses. Horse Racing Alberta. They've got live racing every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday down at the Century Mile Racetrack and Casino in Nisku. So uh, we were going to shift gears, and we still will, Mark, and talk about your book. But uh, a couple of tweets that we should address here came out this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll start with Essa Tikkanen, of course, one of the uh, the Oilers' greats, former NHLer there, uh, saying, quote, Pugliarvi never really had what it takes to make it in Oilers. He is a very skilled player but in Edmonton, you just need to have something more. Believe me, I know. However, all the best to Jesse. He makes the upcoming league season very interesting. To have a fellow Finn come out, Speck, and say that, interesting. What's your take? Yeah, I think that it's a fairly accurate take. You know, Jesse Pogliarvi, um he and his camp have come out and said, we think we're a top six NHL player. Well, he's not, right? It's period end paragraph. He's not a top six NHL player. 37 points in 139 I, games. I don't care how he was used. That's not, not production. Enough. No, he's not a top six NHL player. And in fact, at times, his game is not even of an NHL standard. So, so you know, and, and we can get to whose fault that is. Sure, he, sh- he should have been in the AHL learning how to play. I get all that. But the point is, at the moment, he's not a top six NHL player. He feels, or his agent and he feel, that he should be treated as such. And that's the disconnect, right? You can't just mm-hmm. send him to the Vancouver Canucks, put him in the top six for Travis Green, and see how long it takes for Travis Green to yard him off the first line. It would take about a week, okay? And same with 29 other coaches. I completely He's agree. And the, the problem is, you watch him on the ice, and I think for those who watch at home on a nightly basis, you don't necessarily see the things that he's not doing. But you got the Hawkeye view from when you're sitting in, in the vantage point that you and I do on a nightly basis at those games, and it's pretty glaringly obvious that he doesn't necessarily have the hockey IQ right now to keep him in any kind of a capacity, let alone top six well, at times. No, no, a lot of times. He's an inconsistent player, which is what young guys are. The orders, uh, you know, I, I often often look at these things like how you would if he was your son and how you would instruct him. Uh, and if, you know, I'll tell you right now, I've been covering this game for 30 years. If Jesse Poyarvi was my kid, I'd say, you got a new GM, you got a new coach, right? Uh, my understanding is the orders are ready to play him on a nightly basis, 82 times a year, probably in a third line capacity. And they're very thin on the right wing. Tons of room for a player who starts to get hot, who starts to score some goals, who starts to play the game. He'd absolutely get promoted to the top six, 
you know, fairly easily when you look at the Oilers lineup, I would have told the kid, go back, give it another year, shake Holland's hand and say, if it goes bad this year, you'll trade me in the summer. And Holland would have taken that deal every day, I understand. Absolutely. Um, Just on a personal level, I've always believed as an athlete, if you're not contributing in one way, you'd better find another way to contribute. And it's not as if Jesse ever modified his game to be real solid in his defensive zone, Mm -hmm. a good penalty killer, finding those other ways to to really make yourself effective so you can stay on the ice while your offensive game isn't percolating the way that you want it to. Right. you got to find a way to be on the ice. right? He, to me, has not done that. In my opinion, it looks like he wants to do exactly what Patrick Lyonet does, and that's put up 45 to 50 goals a year, get about 10, 15, 20 assists, yep. and really, that's all he's known for. I don't think that you can survive right now in the state of this franchise being that kind of player. You have to find another way to stay on the ice, and he hasn't done that. Well, and remember, too, that the thing that fans sometimes forget is the top six is filled with a bunch of really good players who are counting on their line mates to help them be good players. You don't get to just hone your craft next to Connor McDavid. If you can't help McDavid be better, McDavid wants someone next to him who is better, who helps him be better. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is not a babysitter, right? He is a guy who is expectant of having two NHL wingers next to him so that he can have the best season that he can possibly have. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be coming off the ice as a minus player on this shift because some kid who isn't ready has been placed on their line. That doesn't last. It doesn't go that way in the NHL, not just in Edmonton, on any team. And that, to me, is the disconnect here. The player's not ready, and he wants to be treated like he is ready, and it's that doesn't, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder how different the situation would have been if he hadn't been continually speaking to Finnish media, um, opening himself up for things to be lost in translation, whether that's on him or Leto or whatever. Uh, that part is definitely on them. Um, again, I don't want to beat this to death. I'm sure we'll talk a little it's bit more about it. story of the day it. in Edmonton. It, it is. You had a tweet from Jason Greger you wanted to talk about. Let's go that direction right now. Uh, yes, actually. Uh, we talked earlier about uh, the state of uh, Connor McDavid's health and how come he's mm-hmm. not skating. This was a quote that actually uh, uh, Gregor tweeted out. It was from TSN 1050 Radio yesterday. That's the TSN station in uh, Toronto. Yes. Uh, here's McDavid quoted, I've been skating a lot, so much in fact, I'm even dealing with some lace bite. He laughed. I choose not to skate today at the BioSteel camp due to a contact factor. We just want to be smart. So he's clearly not looking for... Con- Who wants contact in the summer when you're an NHL player? I don't think many do, frankly. But if Connor McDavid's got lace bite, that's good news for the Oilers fan. Completely. So, again, I think to, to the point that we were trying to make earlier, tongue-in-cheek, is if, if you've got good news, you don't you think the fans would want to hear some of that I'd rather like than letting their this. anxiety get carried away? I totally agree. As an organization, like every organization is trying to sell tickets, uh, I would suggest, you know, if I'm the Oilers, I'm, I'm dispatching someone from Oilers.com to get some film of this skating that's resulting in lace bite. I'd like to see it. <laughs> Strictly from a journalistic standpoint, yes. of course. Uh, great text coming in here out of Edmonton. Yes, Apoyarvi is like a pair of expensive shoes you bought online, but turned out to really hurt your feet. You force them into your wardrobe for a while, but eventually you realize they're better off staying in the closet. <laughs> That's from Norris Miranov. 
Norris Miranoff. I like that. I like that. That's uh, an interesting analogy there, but certainly. I wonder, you know, like we've watched this movie, sadly, in Edmonton a couple times. And, you know, let's go to Yakupov, who who flamed out in Edmonton, went to two more NHL teams and just couldn't play there either. And now resides in the KHL. This is a different route that Pogliarvi's taking. He is going back to Europe of his own volition to a lower level. I had the the Finnish, the the Liga, they call it there, L-I-I-G-A. Right. I had it described to me like this today uh, by someone I was talking to that over, it's a better league than the AHL because the players are older. For instance, UC Jokinen's on the Carpat team. Um, but it's not as good a developmental league as the AHL. It's You're not there to develop. You're there to, to win games for Carpat. Mm-hmm. Uh also, I said to the guy, I said, well, where is it in the in the pantheon of European leagues? Is it better than the Swiss league? Is it, so it's not as good as the KHL, and it's not as good as the Swedish league, although the top three or four teams, and Karpat, Ulu Karpat would be that team. They're, they're a perennial powerhouse in the Finnish league. They could compete very well in the Swedish league. But the depth is the, the seventh place team in the Finnish league could not play in the Swedish league, right? There's not as much depth in Finland. Mm-hmm. So... So, you know, he's going to, he's paid to score goals and win and play. And Jesse Pogliarvi is in a league now where, you know, it's a couple levels below the NHL. He should be a star in that league, right? There should be a bunch of goals coming here. Simply put. And and I would expect the same if he had just accepted the fate of playing in the AHL. And I understand that the language issue has been one that's been brought up. But these are the guys in all likelihood now where you see the Bouchards and, and Tyler Benson and Kyler Yamamoto. These are going to be your teammates if you stay in this organization for the next decade. Right. You get get familiar with He'd them. He'd be great with those guys. Make there, make make the companionship of these players. Yeah. This is that only seems logical to me. But logic hasn't always been on the forefront of what's going on in this situation. Yes. Let's talk about your book. Yes. I'm excited about this one. I and I'm sure a vast majority of our listeners. When the time rolls around, you even get a little excited at the Summer Showcase. Yes. But when you start yes. talking about World Junior Selection Camp at the beginning of December, that's you just your ears prick up a little bit. It's awesome. So tell me about it. It's called The Road to Glory, the untold story of Canada at the World Juniors. Yeah, it's it's really a, a you know, we go back to Murray Costello, one of the original hockey Canada guys. In fact, back then it was the CAHA. Uh, you know, who who watched a system in the 70s where we used to send over the Memorial Cup winner to the World Junior. And we'd send over the Cornwall Royals. But they won the Memorial Cup last year. They lost a couple of their older guys this year. They weren't as good. Mm-hmm. And they'd go over to Leningrad and get pasted by the <laughs> by then the, the USSR. Right. Uh, we weren't that organized. We didn't have a team that represented our whole country. And after a few, you know, from 74 till about 80, Canada didn't fare very well at that tournament. You know, the Gretzky played in Montreal. He gave him a shot because he was so good. But really, we weren't that great. And Hockey Canada or the CAHA and the junior leagues came together. Ed Chinoweth and the various league presidents finally were convinced to put together an all-star team, an all-Canadian team. And it really was the seed of what we know today. And, uh, you know, it started out by them going over to down to Rochester, Minnesota back in 1981, where they, they that was the first team that they won the World Junior in this tiny rink in Rochester. They didn't have a Canadian anthem, so all the Canadians sang it themselves, Troy Murray and a bunch of guys. And it's the turned into something that you just said. We all look forward to it Christmas today. 
So the genesis of this book comes from what? You're just another one of the guys that gets giddy around Christmas time for this tournament? Yeah, yeah, I'm like any Canadian guy, right? I, I, I'm i not going to tell you that I sit and watch a ton of junior hockey. I'm busy watching the NHL. But during that that 10-day period, right, between Boxing Day and, you know, whatever it is, Jan mm-hmm. 6 or something, uh, oh, yeah, I'm like every other guy. Uh, and I think that's it. Uh, to me, Brennan, somehow the World Junior has become to Canadians at Christmas what football is to Americans at Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. right? Americans have Thanksgiving. It's a bigger holiday there than Christmas in terms of travel and going home and seeing your folks. And every one of them almost is watching football. Well, up here we're watching hockey, and, and I've got about 250 pages or 70,000 words that's sort of described how it got there. Which is really exciting. This is I'm I'm pumped for this. But I got to ask you, what is your most memorable World Junior moment? Because I've got one for sure, and I don't think it's going to be the same thing. I would imagine someone of your vintage, maybe the well, punch up, maybe. Yeah, I, I had a you know, I, it's changed for me in writing the book. I had a killer conversation with Brandon Shanahan about the Piastani punch up, Piastani, why it became what it was. Chris Joseph, of course, was on the ice when it started mm-hmm. on the right point for Canada. Learned a lot that I didn't know about that fight and why it became such a brawl um you know i'll still tell you that one of the greatest goals you ever saw when you were just watching tv was jordan eberly scoring against russia with whatever it was i should remember 5.4 i was gonna say 3.4 5.4 <laughs> left um you know that was just a moment in time that mm. and uh, talking to jordan to do the book was even cool because we were both kind of amped up as we t- he replayed it he says i replay it all of my all the time i get asked to replay this goal and, yeah absolutely uh, you know luongo hanging in in saskatoon as long as he could before finally russia scored an overtime goal the john slaney goal in saskatoon uh in the very first year that tsn decided to show every canadian game it was back then like they'd show you know, it was a huge deal to see all the Canadian games. We used to just see the, maybe the semifinal and the final on CBC. Uh, for John Slaney to win that thing in Saskatoon that year, that was a real memorable one, too. And How about you? Uh, the Eberle goal, absolutely. I remember everything about that play, from icing the puck to Ryan Ellis's play to, to keep the puck in the zone. And yeah. then he just and I can remember Gord Miller's commentary almost verbatim. So that, that yeah. for me, that, was really that has to be it. Yeah, the whole um, country. It was almost like an Olympic goal back then because we didn't have Olympic hockey, right? And it was mm-hmm. everyone in the country watched that goal. Is Eberle the greatest Canadian junior player of all time? Well, that's a good question. You know what? Eric Lindros, in fact, uh, had a lot of points. But I wouldn't say that he was the greatest player, somehow. Uh, Eberle played in two Canadian tournaments, which they always get more love because they're on in prime time. The crowds are huge. Mm -hmm. Eberle played in tournaments in, uh, I believe, in Saskatoon and Ottawa, if I'm not mistaken. Uh Lindros, you know, the untold story about Lindros, not untold, but we've checked into it in the book a little more. It was it was a tournament in uh, Sweden that they brought him over late. He missed, he didn't go. He had been with the Canada Cup team, and he did not go to the um, summer camp or even the December camp. And they parachuted in Eric Lindros and two other players, but mostly Eric Lindros, into uh, into the tournament. Sorry, in Germany, not Sweden, in Germany. 
and it fell apart. They didn't have cohesiveness. They didn't have the teamwork. Everyone sat there saying, oh, well, don't worry, Lindos will come in and save the day. And to this day, Hockey Canada instituted a rule right after that saying, if you don't come to the camp in December, you can't play for the team. And that Lindros rule stands today. Do you think that the TV deal is really one of the major factors in it becoming what we know it as today? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll give, as a Sportsnet guy, uh, I'll give TSN all the love on this one. Much like the Canadian Football League that, that TSN has really... You know, I'm not going to say they saved it, but they're a pretty big part of what happens and that with the fortunes of that league. They really created, they turned a nice little Christmas tournament into what it is today. TSN gets a ton of the credit for it, and they've received a ton of the reward. Uh, you go try to buy an ad for a game <laughs> on Boxing Day or on New Year's Eve and see what it costs you. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Spec, we'll end with this. Uh, just what can we expect in the way of who you've talked to uh, for this book, what we what we might be reading when the, when the date drops? Well, I think uh, the fun part for me was we all watch these games, and you watch them on TV generally. You know, the odd one of us, we get to go to a World Junior game, but I watched many. And the fun part is talking to the guys, right? talking to Roberto Luongo about that goal that went in, uh, asking the guys who were on the ice in Piastani, why did it happen and why did it go this way, you know, and and asking uh, the uh, the young Comtois kid who took the penalty shot mm-hmm. recently in Vancouver and had to deal with a bunch of social media hate that didn't go in, they lost the game. Uh, long discussion with him about the whole experience. So, you know, I think I got most of the moments from John Slaney to Jordan Eberle, uh, a chapter with Sid Crosby and Shea Weber and everybody on that team in North Dakota that was, right, the best world junior team ever iced. Yeah. Uh, Patrice Bergeron spoke to. So I like to think that even though you think you probably know most of those stories, I'll bet you when you read the book, you're going to go, oh, I never knew that part. And that's my goal as a journalist. Do you have uh, an official release date? Yep. Uh, Road to Gold. It'll come out in uh, late October. And uh, like most books, it'll be on the stands for Christmas. But uh, you'll see it, and I'll be making some noise on Twitter about it. Don't worry. <laughs> Might end up being the perfect stocking stuff. Respect. Thanks for your time once again, and I uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Brennan. One fifty in Edmonton. We'll press pause. Back with this day in Oilers history when we return. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. It is 152 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott here to wrap up the show. Big thanks to uh, Mark Spector for coming in. His appearance is each Tuesday brought to you by the Horses, Horse Racing Alberta, and the 7,000 men and women employed in the horse racing industry. Apologies to Mrs. Spector. It is called The Road to Gold, not the road to glory but that book uh, on the canadian world junior story can, can expect to see that on shelves before christmas time so i'm looking forward to reading that one uh royal pizza by the way is celebrating 50 years here in edmonton and they're still making it great on now through october royal pizza is offering the combo special which is your choice of greek or caesar salad with garlic toast two medium gourmet pizzas and four anniversary cookies all for 50 dollars. you can pick that up at any one of their 14 Edmonton locations. Uh, full disclosure, the text line is an absolute mess right now. I've got a bunch of stuff coming in from shows earlier in the day, but I'm going to try and get to some of these that pertain directly to our conversation topics today here on Oilers Now. Uh, makes you wonder why Columbus didn't pick Puyarvi. 
they might have known something that no one else did. Well, this is the conversation that I've seen on Twitter this morning. Is You've got a Finnish GM in Columbus who picked a French-Canadian player over a Finnish player, and you ended up supposedly, I cannot say this with any kind of certainty, supposedly the Oilers didn't do too much in the way of pre-draft interviews with Pugliarvi, so maybe they didn't know uh, what they were getting themselves into necessarily. But to have all general managers, coaches, hockey minds, whatever, that we've spoken to about this particular situation over the last while, say that any number of them would have taken Pugliarvi in the same spot the Oilers did, you can't fault the organization for taking a chance on the talent. Simply put, I don't think very many of us expected to see him available there. So what do you do? You you have to take that risk reward based on him and his performance in the junior ranks. And there's a chance he gets it back on track. There's a chance that he goes to Finland. You heard Mark Spector say the level of competition there obviously is not going to be the same as it is here. If this is a confidence issue, what better place for him to be comfortable and figure out the hockey side of things where he's not worried about a language barrier or any of that kind of thing? To me, this is the best, most logical case scenario for both parties. Just stay there. If you're not willing to play in the AHL, understood. Go do your thing over there and let's see if they can recoup some value. If you don't want to play for the Oilers, you're going to be best off by having Ken Holland in a situation where he actually likes the return. Elaine says uh, out of Millet, Alberta, um, about these guys who don't want to play in certain areas, it can suck. But do you really want that guy back? If he doesn't want to be there, why force him? He won't produce. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. And that's we talked about Patrick Marlowe. I believe that was the context of that text message. And if he doesn't want to play in Edmonton, there's no sense in him or the team really even entertaining that idea. Because you're right, you're not going to get him at his best. And you see how players' production dips. I think back to Ryan Kessler when he was in Vancouver and wanted out of Vancouver. The production dipped. He was no longer the player that he once was when he was putting up 40 goals. Injuries had a part of that. Of course they did. But I get what you're saying, Elaine. Uh, Drew Doughty had a chance to go to Toronto, but he re-signed in Los Angeles. Exactly. There's a, there's a large number of big-ticket players who you look at and they didn't all just jump ship to go home. Vancouver is another great example of the amount of players that come out of BC and don't necessarily want to play for the Canucks. So there you go. Been an interesting news day. Bob will be back with uh, thoughts on all of this tomorrow. He will be joined by the Athletics' Corey Pronman at 135. And we'll get into more detail about the Oilers' prospect pool and, uh, and how high they rank relative to the rest of the league. Let's go to this day in Oilers history. It's brought to you by New West Travel. Ask about their Oilers Now hockey road trips to New York and Chicago. That's two separate road trips that you could inquire about. Call New West Travel or go online at newwesttravel.com. On this day back in 1992, the Oilers trade Vinny Damfus and a fourth round draft pick to Montreal for Shane Corson, Brent Gilchrist and Vladimir Vujtek. Shane Corson had a reasonable career here, didn't he? We know damn Foos did elsewhere. Again, this day in Oilers history brought to you by New West Travel. You can call and ask about their Oilers now road trips. One to New York, one to Chicago. The number, uh, well, we don't have the number right handy, but you can certainly go online at newwesttravel.com. Always a pleasure hanging out with you. Coming up later tonight on Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Former Eskimos linebacker, Singor Mobley. And much, much more. Again tomorrow, Bob's back. Corey Pronman 
And it's Wednesday, so legends of the game. Marty McSorley will be our final guest on that series, which I appreciate your feedback on, by the way. That was well-received, and I uh, certainly enjoyed putting that on for you in terms of what I was able to do, and I know that Bob's had a lot of fun with it as well. So we'll wrap up with Gretzky's bodyguard, as some know him. Right now, we're off to a global news weather traffic update with Cassandra Jodwen, followed by the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News with Jalen Nye. Brendan Escott saying thanks for tuning in. So long from the 6.30 Chet Studios. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.